Powered by GoGoat Sports in partnership with TSN, it is episode 71, season 4 of the Rain Regs podcast, and it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey. Ray, we always have fun on the podcast, but we're going to have a bit more fun than usual with today's special guest, and that is Martin Biron, former star goaltender in the National Hockey League. He'd roll his beautiful blue eyes at that when he hears me talk, but... Uh, such a fun guy to be around, right? And a wealth of knowledge and information, given his history, of course, um, as a longtime backup to Henrik Lundqvist and some great goalies. And, you know, Marty was a starter in his own right as well. But now he's an analyst with TSN and MSG for the Buffalo Sabres and, and all of that. But there's no such thing as a less than entertaining conversation when Marty Biron is involved. He's so animated in everything that he says. So it... <laughs> It, does, it could mm-hmm. even be like, you know, when we were at TSN at the free agent frenzy and the food tables out there and Marty <laughs> would come to get, get a snack. Like that is entertaining. Yeah. He's just getting a snack, but he comes out with, <laughs> with this energy and the way he speaks a little French and a little English together. It's just, he's a, a terrific guy. I got to say, you said something and it made me kind of go, oh, uh, you said, you know, a terrific backup goalie. And I, yeah. these guys that that was their career. They always make fun of themselves because they were yeah. a backup goalie. Jamie McLennan does it all the time. Uh, Marty mm. does it all the time. Like, I, I don't think people realize how hard it was to be that in that position and do it as well as they did for as long as it is, as they did. Yeah. Their job was in jeopardy all the time. And they both stayed in the league for 15 years. Like that's mm-hmm. a it's a hard gig, it's a it's a way harder gig I think than than we might think. You know, again, as soon as Marty starts talking, and this isn't a criticism, this isn't a knock, it's reality. How long has Marty Brown been in North like in in the U.S.? When did he start in? About well, he was fifteen years, twelve years in Buffalo, and he, that was twenty five years ago. You know, he sounds like we just dragged him out of rural Quebec. I mean, this, yep. the Dizzard That segment that he does on Sabres Live is sensational. So we'll, we'll obviously have to get into that with Marie Biron. Uh, let's check out the headlines across the National Hockey League. A lot going on, and it makes good sense that we'd start with Game 3. I mean, you called it a week or so ago and saying that you thought Vegas would win in five. Well, Vegas has the opportunity to win in five, but first they've got to win game four, and that's Saturday as we uh, Mm -hmm. tape uh, episode 71 here on Friday. So let's check back on game three last night. Always pivotal. Game three in any series, especially when you're down to love, pivotal. Uh, What do you see in the final stages, starting with uh, the Kachuk tying goal with the extra attacker and then for Hagee in overtime. I mean, of course, you can't get by the game without uh, talking about Matthew Kachuk and, you know, the contributions that he has made at a remarkable level, not just in the playoffs, but all season in Florida. When when Bill Zito, the GM, made that trade last year, I, I, I'm sure this was his wildest dream, that it would all work like this with Kachuk at the, at the center of it all. And he's just been lights out for the money. Um, I th- you know, after he got rocked by Keegan Colasar in the first period, um, he comes out of the game. Paul Maurice later said it was uh, the concussion spotter pulled him from the game. Um, and so he had to go through the protocols. But I, I think in if you, wa- if you watched Kachuk last night, 
to me, this is the, the biggest growth in his game is that he didn't really have a great night. Like he had an assist early, he got hit, came out of the game. So now you got to restart from scratch. And I, I don't know, he just didn't look, he didn't look sharp. He turned the puck over quite a few times. Um, just didn't, didn't seem to have it. But in the past, that would have dragged him out of the game because he would have got frustrated and he would have, even in an important moment, I, I, I would have seen, I remember seeing an emotionality to him. And now he just like plods along. He's like, next shift, next shift, next shift. And I was really impressed with the way that in a, in a you know, season important game, they lose, it's over. He leads by the way he's playing. He's not off the track. He's not chasing the game and he ends up, you know, scoring the tying goal. And, um, and then it gets to overtime. And, you know, we asked uh, Paul Maurice, uh, I guess it was in the Boston series. I was doing that series about Carter Verhage. Why does he score so much? And, you know, you know, this is a guy that was, there was no place for him in Tampa. And, you know, he, he ends up, you know, traded from Toronto to Florida. Then there's, there's, you know, and, and now he's got a, an opportunity to, to explode. Like he has 30 goals, 40 goals, right? Like, yeah. and Maurice said, he scores off the run of play like incredibly well. So when there's a little bit of chaos, the puck gets to him and he can really score. And so you look, you know, Bennett makes that nice play in overtime. Yeah. And that's, and, and it's like, it's against the run of play. There's really not a lot going on and boom, game's over. Like it, he's really an interesting player because he's not yeah. going to, he's not going to carry the puck. He's not going to, you know, the new term of course is drive the play, but it comes to him and it's over. Mm. Like he can score. And so the the three, well, there's four guys really. So those two, Kachuk and Verhage, as they've done all playoffs. Um, Radko Gudis coming back uh, after being injured and playing as prominent a role as he did. That They don't have the depth to withstand a loss like that. No. And then in the first half of the game, Dregs, what did they have? Five, six shots? Not many. Um, yeah. And... Bobrovsky didn't let the game get away. Yeah. And so all that stuff adds up to game four being a hell of a lot more interesting than it would have been if, if it didn't happen. Yeah. So let's back up to that Kolasar hit on, on Kachuk there. Right. Um, In my opinion, the NHL narrowly misses a tough situation. Um, So the hit happens. Matthews, you know, gets up. You know, it, it looks like he's a little bit wobbly. And instantly we kind of thought, oh, geez, you got a bad skate. What's going on? You know, the official was at Kelly Sutherland actually helps him, you know, get going towards the, the Florida bench. Now, automatically, you would think that he goes into protocol. He goes into concussion testing. And that didn't happen. He's out on the power play. There wasn't a penalty on the hit. There was a high stick on Sam Bennett. So, Florida's and a commercial and a commercial and a commercial break. So there's two plus minutes there, you know, for him to, to, to gather his faculties, which he clearly did. So he plays a shift on the power play and then the NHL spotter removes him from play and, you know, misses for 14 minutes, 39 seconds. Imagine the kerfuffle, which is an underused word. Um, if, Florida had scored on that power play and, and Matthew Kachuk was 
a part of it in some way, shape, or form? Or do we just say, look, it's a science, but it's an inexact science. It, it felt like a miss for me, to be fair, from the spotters. I mean, this guy was clearly impaired or looked that way as he got up from a thunderous hit. I, I don't think the protocol allows for, hey, let's see what he does on the next shift. Right. You know, yeah. like so. <laughs> it's well you know, put. like that. So yeah. that that is, I'm I'm with you, Dregs. It was a it was an odd circumstance that he played on the power play. I mean, it's not like it happened, bang bang, and they didn't have you know the spotter didn't have time to get to the trainer because you know to say he's got to come out of the game because yeah. the face off. You know, there was a commercial. They were the ice scrapers were out there. There was plenty of time. I wish I knew better how that protocol works. But basically, the spotter calls the bench. And, and it's not the team's responsibility. Mm. What the team's responsibility is, is to enact what the spotter says. Right. So mm. I, I, I don't even really know what to say. I mean, like if, if he was out, if he was out for protocol, which is what Paul Maurice said, then he should have been out when he got back to the bench at the commercial. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's my understanding. Of yeah. It. And, and look, I mean, the follow-up could be just a... <laughs> no pun intended, healthy reminder from league head office. Hey, you know, we keep telling the world we're not slipping in the standard of officiating. And that was a tightly, tightly, tightly called hockey game, game three. So let's not let any other elements of how we manage a game slip. Correct. So I assume we were going to talk about the officiating. Yeah. Okay, so you just segued into that. <laughs> and and you know where I stand on this. Yeah. And Paul Maurice goes out after the game and he wants no penalties called. He wants none, zero. Yeah. Because I think he said there were 470 <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Paul's really smart and his math is off. There was only 11. <laughs> but outside outside of the trip, right before overtime. And by the way, I was really happy that nobody scored because I, I didn't love the call. I, I mean, even though he did, you know, their skates banged, there's lots of, and, and. It felt and, incidental uh, though. The contact seemed incidental. That's, yeah. That, correct. I was trying to think of who was, who jumped inside there. It was Stevenson. Yeah. Chandler, and yeah. It, it, it felt like that probably happens a lot. Yeah. In, in a game. However, when I'm looking at the penalties, I'm like, well, which ones aren't? Yeah. Now you might not like them, but here's the thing. This is bullshit when people say, oh, you got to let the players determine the game. If you let the players start to hook and trip a little bit, pretty soon they're going to do it a lot because they're not dumb. Yeah. They know that, oh, standards easy tonight. Standards yeah. They adjust high. both ways, right? A hundred percent. I don't think you let the less talented players dictate the game. I don't think you let the penalties go. And you, if you call what's there, the hope is that the players adjust as the game goes on mm -hmm. because they will. And they do. I, I played a long time. If, if you could hold a guy, you were going to hold him. Like, why wouldn't you? And so I get people don't like 10 penalty or 10 power plays, but then don't make 10, don't commit 10 penalties. All right. Um, big three-way trade earlier this week, Columbus, um, LA, and of course, Philadelphia Flyers. 
Provorov ends up in Columbus, and and you really get a clear view on what Yarmo Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets are are going to do, and that is make their roster better uh, than it obviously was, and it gets better automatically with Wierenski back in healthy. I mean, significantly better, especially on that back end. Um, so, what does Provorov bring, uh, bring? And I I can I can assume that 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 trade took a number of teams by surprise because I, I think of Kelly McCrimmon and the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and I think Kelly believes that he's got a stake in the ground when it comes to former Brandon Wheat Kings players. <laughs> so the fact that Provorov ended up in Columbus probably doesn't sit well with the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, but does he make the, the Columbus Blue Jackets that much better? Well, I, I think so. Not, I think so. I know. So um, Provorov's a, a really good player. I thought there was going to be more offense um, from Provorov. Like what, when I watched him in, in the World Junior Tournament and like there were a couple of couple of D that just in their World Junior last year just didn't belong in the tournament. And there was, it was Provorov, it was uh, Shabbat, and it was Charlie McAvoy. Mm-hmm. Like they just didn't belong there. You're like, what are these guys doing here? They're just like too good. I thought there would be more NHL offense from Provorov than there's proved to be. Now yeah. maybe they'll unhook it a little bit. Like maybe they'll un, you know they'll they'll unearth it and find more maybe. offense, or maybe not. Now let's assume they don't. So now you have one pair with Zach Wierenski and one pair with Ivan Provorov. Well, now you've got you've got half of your top four looking like a real NHL top four. Right. Like that that changes them sure. in a hurry. Yeah. So I do I do think I do think Provorov helps Columbus a lot. Um from the LA perspective, I mean they get out from underneath Cal Peterson's money. It it was key. Now that was a deal that they had signed mm-hmm. in LA, three years, fifteen million dollars, and Peterson lost his way. And he's in the minors. They turn around and they use that money the next day and, and sign Gavrikov to a couple year extension. And and then for Philly, um, that's a bold swing for Daniel Briere. Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. But he said he was going to be aggressive, and they were going to change, you know, the the way that they were doing things in Philly. And I, I kind of is it odd to like the deal from three three different teams? Like it 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 kind of it kind of felt like you could see and go, gee, yeah. I, I kind of liked it. To finish it up, I, I was told, and I haven't confirmed this with Blakey, but and, and I don't think it matters. He retains 30% for a price, right? Like that's become something. The Wild did it twice uh, around the trade deadline. He didn't know, LA didn't know where Provorov was going. So I, I guess what does it matter, right? You're getting compensation for right. 30%. So it doesn't matter to you where he lands per se. So an interesting and a bold transaction by uh, Briere. Okay, let me th- that that goes back a little bit to that we hear all the time. Oh, I don't want to trade him in the division or in the conference. What does it matter? Are you making a trade for four or five extra games, or are you making a trade for the season? You get the best return you can get. Yeah, Ray. I mean, you mentioned the Columbus Black- Blue Jackets building a, a better defense, right. and and that happens naturally with Rensky healthy, and we've just talked about Provorov, but uh, news this morning as we record here on Friday, they've swung another deal, Columbus, 
Uh, I wonder how much Babcock is motivating this. Ah, eh, that's being disrespectful of Yarmo. But acquiring Damon Saverson from the New Jersey Devils uh, and then immediately extending this guy to an eight-year extension at better than $6 million AAV. That blue line is getting better, right? It is getting better. It's getting more experienced. It's getting bigger. <clears throat> I watched uh, Severson a lot um, uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, when I say watched, I mean, I, I was at the game, you know, because I, I always think there's a difference between watching on TV and being there. You get just a, a, a little different feel. And what I noticed from Severson was he seemed to eliminate the big mistake more frequently. And, you know, that's always been um, maybe the one thing that give you hesitation about Damon Severson is he's got, you know, he's big right-handed guy, can shoot the puck, can be erratic in his decision-making in the defensive zone. But it seemed like there was less of that more often, which made him a more consistent player. So there's two sides to this. We'll start Columbus first was, you know, adding that player. So now if you, you look, you know, you've added – You've added a whole pair this week in Provorov and Severson. It's impressive. You know, that's that's good work. That's really great work and pretty aggressive work um, in Columbus. For New Jersey, they have cap issues because they've got some pretty expensive players they want to sign, Timo Meyer in particular. Mm-hmm. When I say cap issues, cap pressures, every team has them. But that was that was Tom Fitzgerald's pressure in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. They also have Simon Nemitz, who they drafted number four overall uh, a couple of years ago. They have Luke Hughes, or Nemitz was last year. Hughes was the year before, Luke Hughes. So they have these two young defensemen that are ready to go. Like they're ready to push for their spot and their time. I think there is a chance New Jersey takes a little bit of a back step at the start of next year when they're trying to get these young guys acclimatized to the league. But you can see what the future is and why they were able to trade Severson. Severson was an unrestricted free agent. So Columbus traded a draft pick to New Jersey. Jersey gets an asset that they can use either to draft a player or flip in another deal. And then Columbus gets a the head start on signing Severson. And of course that took, you know, that was already in motion and, and the deal's done. It's a it's a good move for both teams. It really is. Okay, so on that note, let's shift over to the Wild West of the Winnipeg Jets, all right? And it's not just speculation. I mean, Kevin Shoveldayoff is up against it here. You know, um, there was this all-in mentality, at least from a player's perspective. That's what they felt the messaging was from the brass in Winnipeg. And with all due respect to Nina Ryder and the pieces that they added around the trade deadline, the players felt like, there wasn't an all-in result, okay? So now you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's basically saying, I'm not signing. Uh, you've got Connor Hellebuck, who's got a year left, who's like, I'm not going to be the last man standing. And you've got the trade speculation around Mark Shifley that has been consistent for the last two years, at, at least. In Hellebuck and in Dubois, you might have a diminished asset in both those guys if you don't move them this offseason. So I'm coming back to you know trading in conference and division. And I think of L.A. When I'm trying to line up a fit for Connor Hellebuck, my guess is he doesn't want to stay in Canada. Like most players, he probably wants to go to the U.S. So 
you know, maybe it's Buffalo if they can figure it out. Does LA make any sense to you, or do you think that is just a flat out eh, Winnipeg isn't going to do that and have to stare at them in the conference for the next umpteen years? If they eliminate LA off the board, they're making a big mistake, in in my opinion, because of the prospects and everything LA has. Because of the prospects, and is LA your roadblock? No, you've got fifteen teams in the Western Conference that are your roadblock. You play, LA plays Winnipeg, do they play five times a year? So let's say Connor Hellebuck's the first star five times in all five games. That's five games. That, that means you've, you've got 77 other ones to play. I, I think you have to look at getting the best return, the very best return, because you have a chance in the players you mentioned to really remake a team that needs remaking because they're they're pushed up against against the wall. As far as them going all in, the players thinking they didn't go all in at the deadline, what were they supposed to do? Trade every first round draft pick for the next five years? If I'm Winnipeg, I look at that team and I go, man, we have invested a lot of capital in this team. How much does all in really mean? Fans think and players think it's about today, but it can't just be about today. It's got to be about today and a few tomorrows. Right. It has and, to be. And the reality for Chevy is, is, you know, it's not like he's not in trade conversations on top end guys. Of course he is. But some of these guys have trade protection. It's, it's just a harsh reality of a smaller market like Winnipeg. They don't always want to go to Winnipeg at the trade deadline or as free agents. Well, that's that's not the fault of Kevin Shoveldale. No, because... What that really means is the guys that pop up at the deadline that you might make a deal for to be all in, Yeah, you're not going to pay a first rounder and a second rounder and a top prospect for a guy for yeah. 17 games and maybe a playoff. Right. Unless you think you're a Stanley Cup contender. And yeah. you got to be realistic at some point. I just, I just think with the players they have, they've given this as far a, or as long a run as they possibly can. And the players have decided they want to go elsewhere. So you got to do the best with it. You can. Right. That's basically what Brad Treliving had to do in Calgary last year. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to make decisions like that. I'm assuming that aren't very easy to deal with. All right. Quick thought as we wrap up headlines, you, you mentioned Treliving now GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs soon joined by Shane Doan uh, in management with the Maple Leafs leaving Arizona. Um, I, I guess the, the reason I'm surprised by it, and I shouldn't be because I know the relationship between Brad and Shane Doan. And I look at the developing management resume of, of Shane Doan with Hockey Canada and all that. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense that Trey Living would want to insulate himself with people that he knows mm-hmm. and trusts. And in Shane Doan, you get a quality guy and a sharp hockey mind. What doesn't make sense is what's going on in Arizona? Like, why wouldn't they have wanted Shane Doan to have a more substantive and active presence in that inner circle of hockey operations. They always, he's iconic as a coyote. I understand that, but they always seem to kind of keep him on the, on the outside. Doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I want you to go back and rewind the tape. And you said, what's going on in Arizona? And I want you to answer your own question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I i i don't know yeah like yeah. I, I don't i don't have you asked it you have to answer it. 
Well, obviously, I don't, you're I don't a fan know. of Shane Dolan, though, right? You think this I, is a I good really fit am. in Toronto? Yeah. I, I am because it's it's been a really underrated um, or underappreciated, maybe is the right word, climb through management for him. Yeah. It's not like he's he's been out, you know, not doing anything. He's been with a couple of Hockey Canada management teams at yeah. the Worlds. He's, you know, built some relationships through the game. He's a very popular guy. Um, and not that that, not that being popular really matters, except as you build your way through management, you start to hear things, um, from other teams because you know more people. Right. And being an assistant, which is what he is, I think his role, what was his title? It wasn't assistant GM. It was an assistant to the manager, something like that. It makes me think it's not an everyday in Toronto role. Okay. And that's that's what I took from it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And um, I, he's a really he's a really good person. He really is. He, not many people run across Shane Doan and don't come away hmm. and go, "Geez, that's a really nice guy." Those are your headlines. Our interviews on Ray and Dregs this year brought to you by our good friends at Canadian Club Whiskey, who ask, "Are you over beer? Why not try a CC Ginger Ale? It's mixed and ready in a can when you're watching the playoffs, unless." You're in the Ferrero household, and Matt and Landon are around, and then chances are the fridge is empty because they have consumed all of your mixed and ready CC and ginger ale in a can. Accurate, right? Uh, yeah. If you want a San Pellegrino after they've been around, sure, we got those. <laughs> but the but the CC gone. Thanks, boys. CC really ginger it. ale mixed and ready in a can. Meet your new cold one. Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out-of-home, and everything in between, they have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net. All right, we're now joined by Marty Biron. And and I don't even know how to introduce you officially because you've got about 10 different jobs. I mean, one of them is being an analyst with TSN. You're a co-host of Sabres Live. You're still doing the MSG stuff. Like, you seem to be all over the place. Well, I do the MSG stuff, but that's through the Buffalo Sabres, okay. right? So yeah. I don't – I've gone to MSG New York a couple of times. I, I'm technically the lifetime – this is maybe the title. Henrik Lundqvist's lifetime backup. <laughs> because when Lundqvist left to go do TNT and they needed somebody in the playoffs last year, they called me. They're like, Marty, come and fill Lundqvist's seat <laughs> at the table. So I am Henrik Lundqvist's lifetime backup. That's what you can say. I, I loved when uh... – Hank made his his debut on on the MSG panel, and they panned the camera wide, and Steve Valaket had a towel around his neck. <laughs> That's right. That's, so Valley is a lifetime back. There's a club. There's a club of us. There's the Lundqvist lifetime backup, and, and Valley's definitely a member of that too. <laughs> Henrik is smooth, though, isn't he? Like, I mean, for a guy who hasn't done much TV other than being the focus of countless interviews over the years – Man, he sits on that panel, and 
you know, there's a comfort, right? You have to have a comfort. You can't worry about the camera, but that's easier said than done until you've done it 500 times. But in Hank's case, Marty, man, he's just a natural. I don't know what's going on with the Swedes, but they can speak English better than the uh, people in North America. Like, like yourself? Dave and, and yeah, with myself, like, you know, like, okay, so, you know, I'm like looking to see, maybe I should do some national stuff in the U.S. too. Add one more thing to my, and they're like, you don't sound very American. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I'll stick to Canada in that way. That's good for me. <laughs> so, so Marty, I, I mentioned in the in our intro about uh, you and Luke Robitaille. Both of you have been in the states for forty years. Yeah, and and you both speak the same. What? It, like, are you trying to do that? Like, what exactly <laughs> is that that you and Luke pull off? Okay, Ray, I'll tell you. This is a kind of an embarrassing but funny story. So about. Seven, eight years ago, I got a call from this guy and he goes, Marty, they're looking for a French Canadian goalie to do this commercial. It's a national commercial. It's for like uh, car parts or whatever. And this guy's going to be dressed in a goalie and going to make saves in the store with all this thing. They want to do an audition with you and uh, you just got to be yourself, right? And they want a French Canadian goalie. So I'm like, sure. They came to Buffalo set up this whole room with cameras or whatever. I had a script. I delivered my lines. I thought I did a damn good job. And then they're like, didn't sound French enough. I'm like, oh, well, my. What, what can it be? Either I sound too French or I don't sound French enough. Like, I don't know. So it's not an act. It's just the way that it is. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> because when, when I played with Luke, I was like, oh my gosh, he's been in the States at that time, you know, 25 years. And it's like, some guys, it goes, like the Swedes you mentioned, it just goes away, their accent. I, I don't know how it is. It just goes away. And Luke is a little bit worse, though. I, I'll tell you, Luke, um, <laughs> from the time I was a kid and I used to watch him at the All-Star Game or whatever, I thought he was always a funny, great guy. And then he's like a different person in English. I'm like, wait a second, like there's two Luke. There's Lucky Luke, and then there's Luke Robitaille, like the French guy, right? And it was, he's so funny. I've got some stories, and I need confirmation on one of them. And, and Ray, maybe you got to call him or Dregs. And there's a story of Luke Robitaille wanted to impress this girl on a date when he first started in the NHL. And he, uh, he went to a restaurant, and he asked for steak tartare. Well done. So... <laughs> But so that's so Luke, right? Like to like not know that tartar is usually raw, like kind of mixed it together. So you can have that well done. Uh, hey, you know, you we talked a little bit of we somehow got in from Henrik Lundqvist to this. Um, so just back to Henrik for a second. Um, I think he does an amazing job. Like he's got a way of explaining things that the technical things a goalie does. And it makes it seem understandable. I, I, did you always know the goalie position was as technical as it is now? Like, I mean, of course, you were an NHL goalie. You were a terrific goalie. We just used to look at it like, I don't know, they do what they do and they stop the puck. Of course, we knew it was more technical than that. But I had no idea over the last five, ten years how technical the p position has become. I'll say this. I was probably maybe 18 or 19 years old when I first realized, oh, if I'm going to play at the next level, I better start working on the technical part of it. And that's when there was maybe a shift, right? So 
Francois and Benoit Lair at their goalie school in Montreal. And that was when Patrick Wall won the cup in 93. And it was like the butterfly style. Like, what is the butterfly style? Why would goalies go on their knees to make saves? And then it developed. <laughs> and I had to kind of go to their goalie school and learn it. Because for me, it was two pad stack, poke check, come out to challenge. And I had a, a friend of the family that was a, um, a semi-pro, semi-professional goaltender back in his days. And he was basically my goalie coach, right, in my Bantam years and whatnot. And we would do up and downs. Like it was literally like go 50 times on your knees and up. And that was conditioning. And and then I, I went to Frank and, and Benny Allaire's goalie school. And Francois Allaire was working for my agent at the time too. So he took me to Switzerland, to Verbier, up in the mountains wow. for a summer goalie school for two weeks. And I was his apprentice. I was dressing my gear and whenever we would say, okay, we're going to do a drill where you push from the post to here to here. You go butterfly, you push over. I was the guy that demoed it and then went out and did the drill. I, I kid you not, that two weeks probably changed my life. Wow. Right? Because I came back and I was like, oh my gosh, I did not realize how hard it is to actually play goalie. Because for me, it was just like getting away of the puck and play street hockey goalie. And I remember coming back from Switzerland and that was the year before I turned pro. And then I went to Rochester and had a tough start to the season in Rochester because I was trying to implement all these things. And then about eh, February, it started taking off. And then the next year it took off. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like there's a technical aspect to the game sure. that I needed to learn and I needed to be better at. But it took me a long time before I found uh, found out about it, especially like growing up through juniors. I was, you know, still a, a pretty good goalie, but then I got to be a better goalie. That so way. does the DNA travel through the generation here? How's your son doing? He's doing really good, uh, you know, playing junior A hockey up in Canada, and he's loving it, and he's a lot better than I was. But everybody, like the generations yeah. after us, and Ray gets it, and Drake's same, like, it's like they're way better than we were. They can do things that we could never do, right? And it's it's fun to see. Um, he's a big pain in the neck, though. <laughs> I, I Like, I was always the nice, calm person. I got my fair share of blockers in the back of the head and slash here and kind of – he wants to get in more fights than me. Like I got in one with Ray Emery, but he wants to get in like five of them or whatnot. Oh, and I keep telling him, stay in your bubble. I think he's learning now yeah. because that's big. the other day he was watching a, a Vegas game. He sent me a, a text, Aiden Hill getting out of his, and then there was an emoji bubbles. And I'm like, you're learning. Like he needs to dial it back. Awesome. Right. I'm like, that's good. So hopefully it's, he's learning a little bit. Okay. So you bring up Aiden Hill. We're in the finals. We're, seeing two goalies at either ends of maybe their careers in, you know, I mean, Bob has been a, Bobrovsky has been a, a Vezina trophy winner and, you know, and he's been in the net and out of the net. And, and then you've got Aiden Hill who really is, you know, just kind of out of nowhere dropped into prominence here into the finals. When you look at those two goalies, why are each of them as playing as well as they are at this time? Well, they're both different goaltenders yeah. and they are playing well to their identity. Like uh, Bobrovsky is a athletic, fast, laterally, explosive type of goaltender. I mean, in game three, you could see that he had his game back together. He's moving across laterally, getting the blocker out. Like he, Marty, he, does the it, extra day off help him? Well, that's the, 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 the common sense here is, especially with a goalie like Bobrovsky, is that he needs a little bit more time. But I like to think that when he gets into a rhythm, 
Like, he doesn't need that time. And we saw that in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, he, he had five days between Toronto and Carolina. But he's, when he's in the rhythm, the guy's unreal. He rides the bike for 45 minutes after games just so that he can play longer, that he can be fresher, right? His body is trained that way. Um, so I think that the extra day off may have not helped him in the sense of energy, maybe just to calm down. Like, he had 10 days between games. Then he played two games. He was okay. Game two wasn't great, but I'm not going to pin it on him. Mm. And then it was more for mental reset, more than a physical reset. I think that it helped him. But but Sergey is, you know, incredibly athletic, agile, flexible. You know, the legs come out, and and it's fun to see. Aiden Hill is a a puck blocker. He's huge. He's six foot six, two hundred thirty pounds. He lets the puck hit him. Right. He's structured positioning. He's deep. I think that's one thing that Sean Burke really has helped Aiden Hill kind of understand is you can play deeper. You don't have to chase the game. That's, again, Benny Allaire influence. When Benny Allaire was the goalie coach in Phoenix and Sean Burke was there, he's like, hey, Berkey, let's pull you back in a little bit. You're huge. Like, you don't have to get caught out in that. And and I think Berkey's done that with Mike Smith. He's done that with other goaltenders. And it's worked. So, uh, but Hill is a puck blocker. What we saw in game three is that if he's, if the shots are, are really good, like post and, you know, if you can put him in good location, you have time to pick a spot. It's not going to be as good for Aiden Hill. So uh, two different goaltenders, both very effective in what they do. But, uh, you know, they're totally different styles of goaltender. Explain this uh, comment to me. Um, I had somebody tell me about Bobrovsky. Uh, somebody that likes him a lot as a goaltender and has been around him a lot is he gets into trouble when he tries to stop more than one shot at a time. Like he, so what, what, I mean, there's only one puck. So like, yeah. what is that exactly? Like how, how can you I, try to do that? So I think what that also means is that he gets in trouble when he's not square. Right. So often you cheat, right. You're like, okay, I'm going to turn myself because I'm going to play two, three options at the same time. If the puck hits me, it's going to go to a different place. Like you're trying to think ahead of the game. And I think with Bobrovsky, when he's square, and that's the key for all goalies, um, you know, they're really good. But think of inconsistencies in Bobrovsky's game, bad goals, pucks that leak through him, pucks that beat him short side. That's when he gets turned around. Um, a goal that is a very good example of that is Willie Nylander in the second round comes down the right side as a right shot and, and he beats him short side. Like Bobrovsky was turning sideways, playing maybe a different option and then Nylander puts it up top and you're thinking, that that's not a great goal to give up. Well, he was overthinking it, trying to play at uh, you know a couple shots at the same time or a couple options at the same time. But when he's square, whew, he's, uh, he's really hard to beat. Now, yes, he gets slow to the ice, but who doesn't, right? Every goalie, Vasilevsky gets low to the ice. Shesterkin gets low to the ice. Now, these guys are a little bigger than Bob, but um, that, I think that would be the the way to explain he's playing multiple shots. It's just okay. multiple yeah, yeah. options at times get some sideways. Marty, it's going to be a busy offseason. I mean, that's already started. You know, we saw a three-way trade earlier this week involving a goaltender, yeah. Cal Peterson. Um, you know, if I look at the teams in need of goaltending, I mean – where does it start? It doesn't really matter. Ottawa, of course, uh, maybe LA, maybe LA. Uh, and then Buffalo is rumored to be interested in a, in a goalie ad, although top four defense seems to be more of a priority there. You know, we can talk about Connor Hellebuck and what may or may not go down uh, in Winnipeg. Ray and I already talked about that in, in headlines. 
Um, but aside from the obvious of a Connor Hellebuck and the level of improvement he would bring, is, is there another guy out there? Like, is there somebody that we're not? Let me get my yeah, list. that we're not I talking got, about. Oh, he's got the red book. book. Oh, it's and it's the red book, so you know oh. it's important. It is important. It's red. I got multiple colors for different things. I've got this book here, <laughs> and I wrote down UFA goalies, RFA goalies, and trade goalies, right? And obviously, your UFA goalies are the ones you know are a little older, and maybe it hasn't worked as well as they wanted in certain area. Um, I've always been a pretty good fan, big fan, is maybe pushing it a little bit of Tristan Jari and the, the health with Jari. But I'm intrigued to see where Jari ends up, right, just because of that. And and I think there's a bit of a reclamation project with Jari and that he's had success, and but it's kind of always like kind of plunged down to nothing after a while. And, and there's a team that's going to say, hey, come on in. We like you. We want you. And, and that's going to be good. So, but for me, the, the, there's two guys that I think are, they're, they're vulnerable. There's a couple of teams that are vulnerable right now for uh, a couple of goalies and they're offer sheet goalies, Jeremy Swayman and Philip Gustafson, because Swayman and Boston and their cap situation and the fact that they have all marked there, can a team come in and offer, you know, 6 million a year on a one-year deal, maybe for Swayman and give up a first and a third? Like, is a first and a third too much to give up for Jeremy Swayman? Like, really, he's a, he's a number one goaltender. I, I think it's 6.4 million. Anything under 6.4 million is like a first and a third. So if you want to push it to the limit, give him more than Lena Solmark and make that mm. Boston make Mar- a Marty, that's there. a – just to jump in for a second. So that also puts time pressure on Don Sweeney and the Bruins. Yeah. Oh yeah, because they can't let that get to July first, and what's today, the ninth of June? All of yeah. a sudden, the the wheels start spinning faster, right? Yeah, exactly. They they or maybe you have to work out a trade at the at the, the draft, right? And say, well, we got to do something because we're we're sitting ducks here. And and Minnesota is the same thing. I think Gustafson's a great goaltender, and he proved that um, a little bit surprising in his upbringing with Ottawa, and then he gets to Minnesota, but. Uh, Minnesota's in cap hell for the next few years because of their, you know, Parisian suitors, uh, you know, buyouts. So could you come in? They have Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, can you come in? And those two goaltenders for me would be two prime targets that I would look at July 1 and say, okay, let's make something happen. But, but that's me. I love the, 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 the crazy stuff so we can talk about it. <laughs> so, Marty, in Buffalo, one of the things that Kevin Adams and Don Granato um, – have have really stayed to, and I guess it's more in particular an organizational view from Kevin Adams, is they're not going to go get someone to block one of their younger players and their pathway. And I think it's a really cool idea to have. Now Buffalo, were, were they one point out of the playoffs? Yeah, by the technically end of- two because they needed to get ahead right. of, Philly, of Florida with a tiebreaker, but yeah, one point. Okay, so they they used you know they used a bunch of goalies last year, and they got good play from this guy, good play from that. However, they all pieced it together. Now they've got Devin Levi. Two questions. Everyone points to UC Soros and says Devin Levi because they're the same size. Is Devin Levi a possibility to be UC Soros? And what do they do in the off season as far as bringing in a partner? For Saros, well, they they may have a partner already, right? If you if you think Levi is ready for the NHL, 
then yeah, it's hard. Look, coming in and playing yeah. seven games at the end of the season is completely different than being the guy that has to play 55 games in a year, right? You're coming from college. You, like, you don't play. Well, although Levi played every game for, you know, the, his whole time at Northeastern, like there was, there was only one goalie on the roster, uh, basically. But uh, yeah, he just played every, but to do it for a whole season, the NHL, that's different. I think they're going to give him the chance and I think they want him to run with it. Uh, but that's still a question mark. So I think for that reason, they don't want to do too many things to bl- either block him or to make it even more crowded because they have Eric Comrie and they have Ukopeka Lukanen and then you end up with another three-goalie circus, which is not good, right? So for me personally, I think Levi is their guy. Why? Because Levi embraces chaos. He's, he's that UC Soros type of guy. He's athletic. He's flexible. Uh, great, like the fastest leg I think I've seen on a young goaltender moving in from juniors or college to the pros. Like he's got beautiful, like Mitch, Mitch Korn used to say that all the time. Who are Jim Corsi? You've got beautiful legs. Like I love it. Thanks for the compliment. But he's got beautiful legs, so I think he would fit perfectly. Now, what Don Granado has done as a coach in Buffalo has been let's build the identity that we can score goal because that's really hard to do. And then we're going to work backwards and kind of tweak the defensive side of the game. Um, so maybe it looks different next year, right? Because they've already built that identity that Thompson and Tuck and Skinner and Cousins and Quinn and Paterka and even Middlestat to that extent, like they can provide offense. Maybe now it's the work that needs to be done on creating that defensive identity. So maybe you don't need a goalie that embraces chaos as much as Levi does. But I still think that that's their best option. He's their best goalie right now. Do you want to trust a college goalie to come in and take you to the promised land? I mean, that's the that's the question Kevin Adams has to ask himself right now. I I'd say yes because I like to play craps at the casino and roll the dice. But uh, you know, crapping out on your first hand is never, never good. good. Well, as we said, we know they're in the market for a top four D. Marty, you've got a busy day ahead, so we're gonna we're gonna cut you loose. Are you? By the way, are you in studio? At TSN for July 1st or no? Are you on remote? I am coming in for okay. free agent friends. So yes. you are going to bring the red book and I get to see all of the different colors and all of the different homework that you've done in, in compiling this thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, I got, uh, you know what? I have a great little, I got to find it, but you guys talk about goaltenders and the question that I've been asked a lot lately, and we'll wrap it up with that because I do have to go, um, is do you need a top-tier goaltender to win a Stanley Cup? Because people are saying you got Aiden yeah. Hill, right? And and Antiniemi won a cup. And you had Michael Layton, Brian Boucher on the other side and whatnot. The last five Stanley Cup finals, only three of the ten starting goalies finished above 20th, worse than 20th in goal save expectation in the, in the regular season. So everybody that's made it to the Stanley Cup, seven out of ten goalies that made it to the Stanley Cup finals, were top 20 in the league. Over 100 goaltenders most years, they were top 20. It's not so much about the money, it's about the performance, and you do need a top goaltender. So, All right, Marty. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Marty, thanks, buddy. It was awesome. Okay, thanks, guys. Oh, time to raise a glass to the Fine Chronicle series. Canadian Club Whiskey for joining uh, for Marty Biron joining us today, Ray, presented by our friends at CC, the Final Chronicle series, the 45-year-old release is available now everywhere. I'm just, I, I got to open it. Uh, you know, I've talked to the great people at CC. 
And I've told them I, I, I just can't bring myself to open it because it's special. It's special. And I just don't know that I'm ever going to be able to replace it. But they're saying, just do it. Just open it. Have you opened yours yet or is it it's still, still waiting? tucked away in the box? But, but here's the thing. if It's like people that have these car collections and they go out right. and they stare at them. What's the point? Eventually, we have to crack the bottle, Dregs. You have yeah. to. Okay. Something yeah, will know. happen and you'll go, you know what? Now's the time. That's worth yeah. it. But don't wait too long. What would that be? Don't wait too long. Yeah. You should never wait too long for anything. I, I mean, I just don't know what that would be. That moment would be winning the lottery, you know, 20 schmills. I got something, something for like you. And going, yeah. What What's about that? in the next few years if the Dragers are blessed with a grandchild? Hmm. And my mind doesn't go there. I've got a 21 year old son. What are you saying? I've got a daughter going into third year law. What if they're 27? No. Oh, well, that's different. So you're saying hold on to it for another. You, you're wait, you said I can't imagine what would be a <laughs> what would be a, a, an event. <laughs> are you kidding me? We we've got to send this little <laughs> clip <laughs> to Canadian Club because I've just pulled it right off into a tangent. <laughs> but anyway, this is all about Marty Biron, who was oh, a is wonderful. It? Is that what we're today. talking about, yeah, Marty? Marty's so. the well, best. Well, that's that's what we're raising it. Yes, we to Marty. Easy, easy to love Marty. Man, he is. Uh, yeah. It was great. His great stuff in his yeah, really really good. great stuff in his interview, and maybe the thing we need from more of our guests: open up the spiral notebook, the red. Oh, book. because that yeah. had. That had information on there. He said he had lots of color-coded things in there. <laughs> His credibility shot through the roof, especially if you're watching on YouTube and you could see the red coiled notebook. I'm like, ooh, you've got my attention, yep. Marty. And he had a couple of spicy ones there too. Good stuff, he Marty. Did. Chris Abbott, is uh, he's, he's on a work trip to Greece, right? The homeland of uh, Botano's head office. Uh, so he's unavailable to join us. Chris Abbott's visits are always brought to you by Botano.ca, available now in Ontario. Remember, Botano says the game starts now. So one more time this week, Ray, it's up to you and I to kind of peruse mm -hmm. and sift through some of the action available on Botano.ca. So check them out. Um, so if you look forward to game four on Saturday, would you be surprised that the Florida Panthers odds have gone up? based on playing better and, and obviously winning in overtime. They're minus 122 online right now, and plus 105 going to the Vegas goal. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, it, it feels like a new series, doesn't it? Kind of, sort of. It does, yeah. I mean, yeah. yet, yet I can't get past that they had five shots or six shots halfway through the game. And I know part of that, yeah. well, yeah. part of that reason is 15 or 14 and a half minutes without Matthew Kachuk, right? Like that, it because it all matters. Yeah. You can't look at a game in just a small sliver. You got to look at the the big picture. I picked Vegas in five. That meant that they were going to lose mm -hmm. a game somewhere along the way. I yeah. think they've lost their game. I I just think Vegas is really really good, and I yeah. I really I I like Vegas in game four. And so many good stories, right? Marsh so continues to be dominant. Beautiful deflection goal by Mark Stone. Aiden Hill was good. On and on it goes. Now the series winner, Ray, again, supports your thinking. Uh, Vegas remains minus 286. And Florida now at plus 225. I'll tell you, though, I still respect the hell out of Florida. They just do not ever go away. 
It is really impressive. Okay, one thing that's of note in the first three games is goals scored relatively early in the first 10 minutes, all right? Um, you think there's a goal scored in the first 10 minutes? Would you bet on it in game four? Yes. We're not saying which team, just I think goal. there's a goal in the first 10 minutes. I really do. Because there'll be a, okay. it's that energy that creates the chaos early in the game before the game settles in. So I'm I'm going to say yes. Okay, minus one fifty four. You're in that group that says yes. Plus one twenty five in the group that says no. But there's all kinds of action on Botano.ca, and uh, I'm not sure when Chris Abbott gets back. But when he gets back, I'm sure he'll tune us up as to what we of missed course. here in the segment. Yep. You know. We're we're kind of, we're we're look at we're we're rank amateurs when it comes to sit you know dealing with all of this stuff, but that's why we encourage you constantly to go to botano.ca. All right, time to land the plane here on another podcast, Ray. Uh, what's the weekend looking like for you? Um, this weekend, pretty easy, pretty easy. Next, it's next weekend. Uh, stuff hits the fan. Reese is 13. He's got a soccer tournament in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. So easily yeah. we should go there, right? But yeah, halfway through the weekend, Riley's tournament starts in Dallas. So that's an issue. Two parents. One goes to Seattle. One goes yeah. to Dallas. However, one of the parents has to go to Toronto on, I think, Tuesday for the Hall of Fame voting. Hmm. So what we're running into is a complication. <laughs> Of getting people from A to B, and have you considered entering, in, introducing a third parent into the equation? Yes, I, I think, um, <laughs> I, I think we're we're looking for 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 travel escort, um, <laughs> step in parenting as much as we can here, because you know part of the problem, and you know, drags, and every every yeah, parent yeah. knows you want to watch everybody's games. Of course. Like I want to watch Reese play, but I want to watch Riley play. But you can't be in both places. Cammy's got Cammy's gonna go. Cammy's making the big swing from Seattle to Dallas, back up to Toronto to so she's she's gonna get she's gonna touch them all. Then I'm kind of following behind. And I think eventually we'll all end up back in Vancouver. I, I think. But you know, that's the goal. And there'll be a birthday celebration mixed in there somehow, oh, somewhere. I should say. Or is that pre weekend? That's pre because Enzo's turning seven. Our, our grandson, and he's rewinded. He's reminded us about a half a dozen times. Um, have you guys got me a present yet? He, he's on it. He's, <laughs> he's, he's looking for it. So that's outstanding. All right. Well, that is that's that's a busy. Strategy. How about you playing a little golf? In oh yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, dropping one guy off at school and heading right to the course today again. Good. I've you. been on a great run. Um, Lots of mid eighties. Have you? No, terrible. Oh, awful. Stink. Geez. What is it? Short game or just a little bit of everything? No, I I cannot. Any of my long clubs, I can't keep in the fairway right now. So this has been a real. I've I've spent a lot of time kicking rocks, looking for balls. So I'm I'm not that happy. I I get it straight. No. Well, you know what? Just just reach out to James Duffy, and he'll quickly uh, courier you one of his swing aids. Uh, if I have to right watch, if he has, sends me one of those things with a ball off the top of my hat. I'm like, I don't know, whatever he does. What do you got going? Uh, well, you know, we've got paneling to do with uh, the Stanley Cup final as it continues. And I got, I'm telling you, we touched on it in headlines. There's a different feel 
in the air around the National Hockey League. And kudos to the Columbus Blue Jackets for being a big part of that, right? With all the trade activity, managers telling me that it, it it's it's legit. There there's there's a buzz around the game. So that's probably going to That's good news. That's good news. Of course, yeah. kills the next yeah. 3 weeks for you, but it's good news for all of us that are watching. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks as always. And we'll check in in episode 72 early next Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Look after yourselves. Yes. Thank you to our partners who make this podcast possible. Our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, who ask, are you over beer? By Botano.ca, now available in Ontario. The game starts now. And by Doer, use code RNDPants and you will save 15% off everything at Doer.ca. That wraps up another episode of the fabulous Ray and Dregs Hockey Podcast. Until early next week, stay safe, everyone.